This year, the Common Lectionary gives us the Easter story from the Gospel according to St. John. That comes to us from chapter 20. But of course, the story begins on Friday afternoon, right? Sometime between 3 p.m. and sundown on Shabbat evening, on Friday evening. This is the story from John chapter 19. When Jesus was dead, Joseph of Arimathea, who was a disciple of Jesus, though a secret one because he was afraid, asked Pilate to let him take away Jesus' body. And Pilate gave Joseph permission, so Joseph came and removed Jesus' body. Nicodemus, who had once visited Jesus by night, was also there bringing a mix of myrrh and aloes weighing about a hundred pounds. And Joseph and Nicodemus took the body of Jesus and wrapped it with the spices and linen cloths according to the custom of the Jews. Now there was a garden in the place where he was crucified, and in the garden there was a new tomb in which no one had ever been laid. And so because it was the Jewish day of preparation and the tomb was nearby, they laid Jesus there. The story continues in chapter 20. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the tomb. And Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, wept, she bent over to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting where Jesus had been laid, one at the head and one at the foot. And they said to Mary, Woman, why are you weeping? And she said to them, They've taken away my Lord, and I don't know where they've taken him. And when Mary had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she didn't know that it was Jesus. And he said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? For whom are you looking? Supposing him to be the gardener, Mary said to Jesus, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you've laid him, and I will bring him back. Jesus said to her, Mary. And she turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabboni, which means my teacher. And Jesus said to her, don't hold on to me because I have not yet ascended to my father. But go and tell my friends and say to them, I am ascending to my father and your father, to my God and to your God. And Mary Magdalene went and told the disciples, I have seen the Lord. Pray with me. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I don't know if you've encountered the writings of Thomas Lynch. Thomas Lynch is actually an undertaker from a small Michigan town and also an accomplished essayist and poet. His most famous book is called The Undertaking, Life Lessons from the Dismal Trade. Mr. Lynch was the inspiration behind that old HBO television show, Six Feet Under. Mr. Lynch complains that in the later years of the 20th century and into the 21st century, there's been a cultural shift in our attitude towards memorial services. We've shifted from doing funerals to doing memorial services. And so you understand that a memorial service is just a funeral without a body, right? And it makes sense that an undertaker would complain about that shift. Funerals are more expensive. That's where all his profit comes from. But Mr. Lynch insists that there's more to it than that. He sees a profound theological and psychological shift 
in that disinterest in the body. Our lack of interest in the physical remains of the one we loved is telling. That body was, is, your husband, your father, your son. In Christian theology, we don't just have bodies, we are bodies. There's no remainder left over when our body dies. There's no just-a-shell theory about the body in Christian theology. And to acknowledge the body at death, according to Mortician Lynch, is to honor God and to honor the one we loved. And so in his Milford, Michigan funeral home, Mr. Lynch complains that he has stacks upon stacks of the unclaimed remains of the deceased. Their loved ones never come back to get the remains. Just have her cremated, they say, with instructions phoned in from Scottsdale or Fort Lauderdale. And they never show up to claim the one they've loved. And so from that cultural context, uh, John's Gospel's resurrection account might baffle us because Jesus' mangled corpse there proves to be a precious treasure to those who loved him. Joseph, that caring rich man from Arimathea, and Nicodemus, the one who'd once visited him furtively by night, pry those iron spikes from his hands and feet, dig those thorns off his brow, and unstick his bruised back from that abrasive cross, And they dress the body, John tells us, with 100 pounds of ointments and perfumes. 100 pounds, almost as much as the corpse itself. There's a garden next to Golgotha. A garden with a cave. A cave with an entrance about four feet wide and three feet high. And inside this cave there are niches carved into the stone walls. And in these niches there are shelves about waist high room enough to lay down upon. And in the door to this cave, there is a stone slab shaped like a poker chip or like a silver dollar set into a stone runner in the earth beneath, just like the sliding glass door to your deck. It weighs a ton, literally. And three days after Joseph and Nicodemus lovingly inter their friend, After the Sabbath, on the first day of the week, when it's still dark, sometime between 3 and 6 a.m., Mary Magdalene comes early, while it's dark, to pay her respects to her Lord. Now, John is the only gospel that tells us that Mary Magdalene came alone. Matthew tells us there were two women. Mark tells us there were three women. Luke tells us there were many women. Only John has Mary coming alone. Now, remember, this is Jerusalem at festival time. This is New Orleans at Mardi Gras. This is Pasadena on New Year's Day. This is downtown Chicago at St. Patrick's Day. There are soldiers far from home prowling the streets and drunken revelers. This is no place for a woman by herself to be out in the dark. Mary Magdalene, remember her? The Bible tells us almost nothing about her. And there are so many gaps in the historical record that the Christian tradition has spent 2,000 years trying to fill those gaps with a vivid portrait. And so over the years, Mary Magdalene has become a prostitute. Whenever you see Mary Magdalene in a painting, she has red hair and she's wearing red like a lady of the evening. But this is a mistake. This is the result of the conflation of three different New Testament women, and also the overactive imaginations of sex-starved monks. All the Bible really tells us about Mary is that she's rich. 
She underwrote Jerry, uh, Jesus' ministry with her checkbook. And she was there at the foot of the cross when he died. And she was back again on Sunday morning when he disappeared. Know also that Jesus had exorcised seven demons from her psyche. Seven demons. What does that mean? Depression, hallucination, paranoia, schizophrenia, alcohol, opium, witchcraft. That's seven. Seven demons Jesus had rescued her from. Martin Scorsese says she looked like Barbara Hershey with tattoos. And Andrew Lloyd Webber says she didn't know how to love him. But she did know how to love him. She was there with her checkbook when he was preaching across the length and breadth of Palestine. She was there when he expired. And she was back when he rose again. And she stands there in the open grave weeping because she can't find the remains of the one she loved. And she assumes the worst. And you would too. If you come to an empty grave in a cemetery, your first thought is not resurrection, but poaching, pillage, plunder, and sack, right? Your first thought is not resurrection, but resurrectionists, the resurrection men. That's what they call body snatchers, because they look like a resurrection happened. But this is first century Jerusalem. There's no market for cadavers in first century Jerusalem. No medical schools who need corpses for anatomy class. And there's two men sitting in this open grave where the dead Jesus is supposed to be. And John tells us they were angels. But Mary Magdalene doesn't know from angels. She's wrestled with demons, but she's never spoken with angels. They've taken away my Lord, and I don't know what they've done with him, she says to them. And she doesn't even wait for a response because out of the corner of her eye, she sees a figure standing outside the grave in the garden, a figure she can't quite make out because this is dawn and it's still dark in that garden. And this person says, Woman, why are you weeping? And then this wonderful line, supposing him to be the gardener. Of course, right? Carpenters look like gardeners. They wear jeans and work boots. Supposing him to be the gardener. She says to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you've taken him and I'll drag him back as if he were flying the friendly skies. Just watch me. <laughs> and then a quiet poignance, almost too good not to be true. He speaks one word. He speaks her name. Mary, he says, nothing more. Mary, it's a music She's dreamed. She's heard it a thousand times. Has it ever happened to you? Has someone you once loved now far away and long gone from your life, maybe dead, maybe on the other side of the world, maybe utterly indifferent to your existence, and has that person returned unexpectedly into your life? Did he march off to war in Europe? or Vietnam, or Baghdad for 18 or 24 or 36 months, and then enter your kitchen and just speak your name? Did she walk out of your life three years ago, and you thought she was gone from your life forever, but then she walks into that coffee shop or your common haunts and speaks your name? 
Was a child of yours ever so angry with you that he swore he would never speak to you again? And that was five years ago, and you don't even know where he's living. And then did you get a collect call from Seattle? And did he speak your name, Mom? Did she wake from anesthesia after death-defying surgery and squeeze your hand and speak your name? Has it ever happened to you? He speaks her name and there is resurrection. Rabbi, she says. She collapses at his feet in tears once again, but this time for joy. Craig Barnes is the president of my alma mater and he says, all we know for sure is that our risen Savior is on the loose and he knows our names. Cynthia Hurd was one of the nine members of the Emmanuel AME Church in Charleston who was gunned down by Dylan Roof in June of 2015. She was a couple days shy of her 55th birthday. She called that birthday her lucky double nickel. Mother Emmanuel's sanctuary seats 2,500 people. At Cynthia's funeral on June 27, 2015, every seat was taken. 150 people were ushered down the road to the Second Presbyterian Church where they watched a live stream of the funeral. Jesse Jackson was there, Governor Nikki Haley was there, the mayor of Charleston, the bishop of the AME Church, a U.S. congressman, a U.S. senator. At the cemetery after the service, they released nine white doves into the sky. Cynthia had been a librarian in South Carolina for over 30 years in the public libraries at the College of Charleston. She didn't have any children of her own, and so she adopted all the children who borrowed books from the public libraries of South Carolina. At Dylan Roof's federal trial in Charleston this past January, Cynthia's brother Melvin Graham testified, and he looked Dylan Roof straight in the eyes, and Dylan Roof would not look at him back. And he said, you tried to kill my sister, but you failed. And then he started mentioning all the tributes that had been started because of Cynthia. The Cynthia Graham Hurd Memorial Scholarship, University of South Carolina. The Cynthia Graham Hurd St. Andrews Regional Library. They renamed it the Cynthia Graham Hurd Memorial Scholarship College of Charleston. He named about a dozen of these. And then he said, and those are just the ones I can remember off the top of my head. Dylan Roof had tried to destroy her and all he had done was to immortalize her. The last time Easter fell on uh, April 16 was in 2006. The time before that, it was 1995. And the time before that, it was 1933. These occurrences happened sporadically. But over the course of many years, these occurrences happen about once every 20 years. It's happened eight times Easter on April 16, eight times in the last 150 years. Easter of 1865 was on April 16. Seven days before Palm Sunday, April 9, General Lee, had surrendered at Appomattox. On April 14, Good Friday, John Wilkes Booth had tried to decapitate the federal government and exterminate freedom. 
But all he actually did was to steal the determination of Americans that these dead shall not have died in vain and that this nation shall have a new birth of freedom. And when President Lincoln died on Silent Saturday, April 15, Secretary of War Edwin M. Stanton, standing by his bedside, said, now he belongs to the ages. You can't kill Jesus. You can't kill freedom. You can't kill goodness. Trying to kill Jesus is like blowing on a dead dandelion. You just send it out to the ends of the earth. If you try to kill Jesus, his disciples will just preach the gospel and make more disciples. If you try to kill Cynthia Hurd, they'll just make all these tributes to her memory. And if you try to kill the great emancipator, they will just build you the most visited and beloved monument in the entire earth. The tomb is empty. The body is gone. Christ is alive. There's a stealthy gardener on the loose. And he knows our names. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen.